This evening, I hope that you listen to the words of that last song. What a wonderful we hope, we hope that we have in Christ, and what a great promise God has made to us who are faithful to Him, that we have a place of rest and a place of glory waiting for us. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. And I know last night we discussed some things that can be rather difficult for us to talk about and to study and to meditate upon, but... All of that was with the intent purpose of talking about the great hope that we have in Christ tonight. And as we consider heaven, we have to understand the important role that that ought to play in the life of every single Christian. That as we examine our life and we struggle and we suffer and we deal with the problems and issues of life, that those things don't overwhelm us because we know we have something better waiting for us. We ought to have joy in our life. We ought to have confidence. And we ought to have a very strong resolve to endure whatever suffering or temptation or anything that this life may throw at us because we're only here for a little while. And Jesus said He went to prepare a place, and if He went to prepare a place, that we could trust that He would return and receive us so that one day we could be with Him. I hope you believe that promise tonight. And I hope that you look forward to going to heaven and being with God and seeing Christ face to face and being with all the thousands of souls that will be saved, will be preserved, and will gather and worship around the throne of God for eternity. I'm going to start tonight in Mark chapter 10 as we consider some teaching of Jesus about heaven. I want to start in Mark chapter 10 about verse 28. Here Peter begins to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. You see, Peter was a little presumptuous in his statement, wasn't he? As he considered his service to God, he looked at Jesus Christ and he said, Lord, look at us. Look at everything that we have sacrificed. Look at everything we're willing to leave behind to come serve you and to go out and to preach this gospel, this good news to this world. And and Peter wasn't wrong in that they had made sacrifices and Jesus didn't tell him, no, no, you haven't left anything. But what he told him was, whatever you've left behind, I'm going to replace. And I'm not just going to replace it and take up the spot that it took in your life. He said, I'm going to replace it in abundance. He said, I'm going to reward you a hundredfold now in this time with all of those things that you might live behind. And I believe that's a promise that's fulfilled within the kingdom of God and His church. That anything that we may leave behind for the cause of Christ, God more than makes up for in our membership in His kingdom with a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that wherever we go, we have a family that we can feel connected with, and one day that family is going to be gathered home to be with God. And He said, not only will I reward you a hundredfold in this time, He said, I will give you eternal Life. And I want to ask just a simple question this evening. When's the last time you thought about heaven? You know when we think about heaven? Funerals. Don't we? Because funerals are a stark reminder that life is short. 
And no matter how long we live, that life goes by and eventually we all meet the same end. And funerals are a good reminder that we ought to take advantage of the time we have because none of us knows the day or time when our life will come to an end. But even in understanding that life is precious and there comes an end to it, there's something better waiting for us. And Jesus says that that's an eternal life. Jesus said that His God was the God of the living. And you and I have to have confidence in Christ and the promises of God that no matter what we deal with, no matter what we face, no matter what struggle, even death itself cannot separate us from the love of God. Do you look forward to going to heaven? You know, the older I get, <laughs> the more real it seems to become. And I want to tell you, I'm a blessed man. And I look at my family and I say, I've got a wife and I've got four children and I love my life, I love my family, I love the work that I'm able to do in the church, but heaven's better. <laughs> and sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our mind around because we get so focused on the blessings that we have here that are wonderful blessings, but Jesus says there's something even better. So no matter what you're going through, if you hang on to the hope and understand the value of heaven... You can endure. And I hope and pray that you want to go there. Years back in times when we would attend meetings such as this as young people, we would stay up late at night and we would talk about all manner of things. And I don't know if it was pure exhaustion, but sometimes our ideas might get a little far-fetched. <laughs> and we would sit there and contemplate things. And one of the questions that someone asked one time is like, what do you really think heaven's like? And at two in the morning, we're not thinking clearly. And we had all kinds of ideas of what heaven might have been like. And we have some description in the New Testament of what Jesus described heaven to look like or be like, especially in his revelation to John, as he describes a place where there's a street of gold and a gate of pearl and all manner of precious stones and these beasts that surround the throne of God and worship him and these elders that sit there and cast their crowns at his feet and worship him forever and understand that that's a physical description of a spiritual place. That God was trying to reveal to John to show John that heaven's beyond your wildest imaginations. And tonight, if I get to heaven and there's not a literal street of gold, I'm not going to be disappointed. Because I'm not going to heaven to see a street of gold. I'm not going to heaven to see loved ones who have passed on before, though that will be a great blessing of heaven. I'm going to heaven to see my Savior. I'm going to heaven to see my God and finally be totally reconciled to the one who created me. I'll tell you, that's a beautiful picture. I want to tell you, that's a picture that can help us endure difficult times in this life. Heaven is where we belong. Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 17, the Bible says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. You see, our lifestyle ought to be so exemplary 
that it speaks to our citizenship not here on this earth or in this country or in this great state of Texas, but that our citizenship is somewhere that's above and beyond anything this earth could hold within it. That our manner of living and the thoughts that we have and the way we conduct ourselves is on a higher plane because this is not our home. This is not where we belong. We're just here for a little while and we look forward to an eternity of glory with God. Often we sing the old hymn that says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know, in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus ascended into heaven, He had given them the instructions to stay there in Jerusalem and to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to descend upon them and they would be given the powers and the ability to speak in other tongues and ultimately begin to preach the gospel message of salvation and that gospel message would spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he ascended in a cloud. And the Bible says the apostles stood gazing upward. What an amazing sight they saw. As their risen Savior ascended into the clouds and they watched Him vanish before their eyes. And then two men spoke to them and said, Why stand ye gazing? You've seen Him go. Guess what? He's going to come back. Do you believe He's going to come back? Isn't that a day we ought to look forward to? You see, we get so caught up in life down here on this earth that the sun rises and the sun sets. And we wake up and we have a very structured routine. We wake up at 5.30 a.m. and we do our morning exercise. (laughs) And we eat our breakfast at 6.30 and we do our Bible study and we get ourselves ready for the day and then we go out and we work and we come in for a meal and then we go back out and work and we take kids to activities and... We come to church, we worship God, and day after day after day after day occurs. Do you realize one day we're going to be doing all those things, and guess what's going to happen? That sky is going to burst. And guess who's coming back? Jesus Christ. And He's coming back with a reward. He's coming back so that the world can be judged and every single person that's ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our life will be judged and it will be almost probably instantaneously that that judgment takes place and we will spend eternity either separated from God or in glory receiving a great reward. You see, heaven ought to be our motivating factor in life. As we think about decisions we make, we need to make decisions with heaven in mind. When I think about what kind of father I want to be, what kind of husband I want to be, what kind of worker in the church I want to be, it shouldn't be just to have a successful family here on this earth. It ought to be so that that family can eventually be in heaven for eternity with God. And let's not just focus on the 100-fold that we enjoy now in this time, but let us focus on our eternity with God. I think that was a great motivating factor for the early apostles. And we're going to talk about Paul's perspective here in just a little while of how valuable heaven was to him. Heaven, as I said, is a reward. 
Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 11, the Bible says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. God's people have always been persecuted. <laughs> if you try to serve God in the world, guess what? It's going to be difficult at some point. And if our Christianity is so easy that we don't feel like we're persecuted at any point, we may need to be more active in our Christianity. Because God's people have always faced persecution, haven't they? And as we think about those persecutions, Jesus says, endure those things. He said, because I'm coming back with a reward. Heaven is a reward that Jesus wants to give to you and I. And tonight, if you're outside the safety of the body of Christ, you've never been baptized into Christ, taking part in His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus wants to give you that promise tonight. And it would be a shame for any of us to miss out on the opportunity to dwell with God in heaven forever because of a lack of obedience to His will. Because there's plenty of room in heaven for everyone. And it's a reward. But a reward, in some way or another, has to be earned. Now understand, we can't earn our salvation, but the Bible speaks of heaven as a reward to those who have been faithful to Jesus Christ. And we need to understand the difference between mercy and grace. You see, mercy is when I don't receive what I do deserve. God in His justice and righteousness has the authority to destroy me because of my sin. But instead, He offers me forgiveness through the blood of Christ. That's mercy. He's not imposing the penalty for sin upon me because of His mercy. But with His grace, He gives me something that I don't deserve if I'm faithful and meet the conditions that He requires. And through His grace, He gives us a hope of an eternity with Him in that great reward. You see, heaven is God's dwelling place. Solomon prayed there in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 through 30, and I just want you to make note of that and go home this evening or tomorrow and read that passage that Solomon prays to God. Because he makes statements about the dwelling place of God, that it's not here on the earth, because this earth could not contain Him, and that He dwells in heaven. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus taught this same idea as he prayed to his Father in heaven. He said, After this manner, therefore pray ye our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's where Jesus was before he took on an earthly form and came to this earth, as he was the Word of God in the very beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but as Jesus existed prior to His earthly existence, He was the Word of God. And that Word of God dwelt with the Father in heaven in all glory and majesty. Jesus spoke about heaven, therefore we need to know and trust that heaven's real. And I don't believe heaven's real tonight because a movie told me that. <laughs> or some book that's penned by man. I know heaven's real because my Savior promised it to me. And he said that was God's dwelling place. As he prayed to his Father in heaven, Jesus knew all. Acts chapter 1 and verse 24. He raised the dead, he healed the sick, he calmed the seas, he walked on water, he rose from the dead. 
If he has the power to do all those things, he certainly has the power and the authority to reserve a place in heaven for us. And because of his sacrificial death and through his blood, we have hope that we can hang on to and endure anything in this life because heaven is real. And it's the dwelling place of God. Jesus made a promise to his early disciples. And I believe that promise is filtered down to you and I today. In John 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's the emphasis of our desire for heaven because it puts us in a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you feel close to Jesus tonight? You see, Jesus wants to have a relationship with all of us while we're here on this earth, and we know that we can have Him living in us through our study and obedience to His Word. We can have, through our obedience to the gospel, His Holy Spirit that will dwell within us and identify us as sons and daughters of God. But one day, we will actually walk with Him. We will lay our eyes upon Him, and we will see Him as He is in His glorified state as he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he told his early disciples to look at his hands and look at his feet and look at his side, proving who he was by those signs of his suffering. And as Thomas doubted and said, I won't believe unless I see these things, guess what Jesus revealed to him? He showed him and told Thomas what? Be thou not faithless, but believing. And Thomas fell down before him and he said, My Lord and my God. I can't wait to bow at the feet of Jesus and make that same proclamation someday. See, that's the glory of heaven. Is that as we worship God here and we get a taste of heaven as we sing these songs of praise and we approach His throne in prayer and we study His Word and learn more about Him, at some point we're not going to walk by faith, we're going to walk by sight. And we're going to see His glory. And we're going to be enveloped in that glory and we're going to be a part of that great throne scene as we cast the crowns that He has graciously given to us at His feet and we say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God. Almighty. You ever get chill bumps in a song service? <laughs> That's nothing compared to what we're going to experience in heaven. This is just a taste. And Jesus promises that that place can be ours. You see, heaven is reserved. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Understand it's by God's power that we're kept and that we're preserved. And that we're made ready to inherit or fulfill that reservation and promise that God has given to those who are faithful. 
It's not by our own strength, our own power. It's simply by our faith and the power of God that we inherit the reservation that God, through Christ, has made for us. Do you understand what a reservation is? No, Elizabeth and I don't go to restaurants very often where we have to make a reservation. But occasionally in our married life of 14 years, maybe twice, three times, and we may need to do it more often, I have called ahead and said, I'd like to make a reservation. And they say, well, what time would you be arriving? And I would say 6.30. And they said, well, we have a table for two at 6.30. We will reserve that for you. So we get ready, and that evening we drive to the restaurant at 6.30. We walk in, and the gentleman says, do you have a reservation? I said, in fact, I do. (laughs) 6.30 p.m., Palmer. And he looks on his list, and he says, there it is. I don't have to wait. (laughs) I don't get moved over to the side for anyone else because that's my reservation. And he takes us to our table and he sets us down and we begin to enjoy an evening together. We understand what a reservation is. You know the first time I ever learned about what it meant for something to be reserved? It's about eight years old. And when I was a child, my dad and I... (laughs) And my mom liked to go to Texas Ranger baseball games. But you know where we always sat? We always sat out in the outfield. You know why? Because those were bleacher seats back in those days, and they were the sections that were called general admission. And for about $3 a ticket, guess what you could do? You could get into the gate, and you could go and fight over your seat out there on those hot bleachers in Arlington, Texas. And we would get there three hours before the gates opened. I wanted to watch batting practice, but I also, Dad, wanted a good seat. (laughs) So we would get there extra early, and we'd have our general admission seat, and we'd go and we'd stake out our spot, but then the crowds would begin to feel. And it would just get more and more uncomfortable and more and more crowded. And at one point, I remember about eight years old, I looked across the field and I saw all these people in these nice, big, Stadium seats. And I said, Dad, why? They're not fighting over seats. I said, Dad, why don't we ever sit over there? And he said, well, that's reserved seating. And he said, those tickets are like $15. (laughs) And I thought, it'd be nice to have a reserved seat every once in a while. Well, a couple of years later, one day, Dad said, hey, I got some tickets to the Ranger game. We're going to go. I said, well, we got to get there four hours early. He said, no, no, no. I bought reserved tickets. We got there about 15 minutes before the first pitch, and we walked down this aisle, and this gentleman, an usher, said, are you supposed to be in this section? And we showed him our tickets. He said, oh, right down here, sir. Then he escorted us to our row, and there were two empty seats waiting for us. No one else was sitting in them. There was nobody encroaching upon our space. And he said, these are your seats. And we sat and we enjoyed that game. My life was changed forever. (laughs) And I said, oh, I, I like this. We understand what it means for something to be reserved. Do you understand that Jesus has reserved a special place in heaven for you? What a shame it would be for us to miss that reservation. 
What a shame for you and I through our lack of obedience or faith in Jesus Christ to miss out on what Jesus has gone to prepare for you and I. He's holding your place. And He wants nothing more for you than for you to see the glory that He truly is and to dwell in that peace and comfort and safety forever. I want you to keep that reservation tonight. See, heaven is also a place of refuge. Revelation 21 and verse 3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You ever just wanted to get away from the suffering? You ever just want to get away from the sorrow and the pain that this life sometimes is? One day we will. One day we'll dwell in that place of refuge that God created for us. This life can be very difficult. But I want you to understand something. God gives us a great place of refuge in the church today. And as we think about Revelation chapter 21, I want you to think of that in the context of the kingdom of God, whether it's here on this earth or whether it's glorified with God for all of eternity. Because you know what heaven really is? It's His church glorified. It's His people who have been called out of darkness and into light made eternal. Do we still weep and feel pain today? Yes. But you know, those tears can be wiped away in the church. That pain can be lessened by the strength of the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because anything we lose, we can find among God's people. And one day, we'll truly be in our place of refuge. Heaven is that place. It's a place of comfort, and it's a place of refuge. You know, Job said in Job 14 and verse 1, that man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. What works is it that Jesus is talking about here as he reveals this image to John? You know, a lot of the works that we do in this life are vain. They're empty. They're meaningless. They don't really count for much, but we do them nonetheless. But there are works that we do that will stand the test of time and actually stand the test of eternity that are not done in vain. You think about that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about verses 50 through 58 that talks about that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. But he speaks that there has to be a change that takes place, that we have to take off this mortal and put on immortality. 
And he says, when that happened, there's a saying that will be done away with, and it says, death is swallowed up in victory. That, that saying will be brought to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is thy sting? O death, or death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The strength of sin is law. But ultimately, what's he say? But I thank God through Jesus Christ who giveth us the victory. And then verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, the labor and the work that we do for the Lord, it's not in vain. But you and I need to work diligently while we have breath and while we have energy and while we have time and while we have opportunity so that we can enjoy the rest for eternity. You see, rest really only means something when we've worked hard. And as we view our life as servants of Christ, we ought to look at our life and say, God, when I'm done, when my life is over, and when I'm ready to go to that place of rest, let me be completely used up. <laughs> let every ounce of energy, let every ounce that I could possibly pour into my service to you, let me be wrung out and poured out for you because i got plenty of time to rest. <laughs> you ever known people that you really thought did that? You ever look at people in their service to God and say, man, how do they just keep going? How do they just keep doing this? And I'm reminded of brethren who have passed on that I looked to as examples that said they were diligent. And even when they didn't feel well, they went. And even when their health was failing them and they were struggling just to do anything, guess what? They went and they preached the gospel and they labored and they worked day and night tirelessly. And guess what they're enjoying today? They're at rest. Imagine the difference we could make as the body of Christ if every one of us were completely used up by the end of our life. And then we could rest together. Make sure that you have something to rest from when you receive that reward. See, heaven is ultimately our home. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We don't belong here. We're strangers. We're foreigners. We're just pilgrims passing through for a little while, and then we get to go home. You know, one thing I learned as I moved away from home is it was always nice to go home. I had taken home for granted. <laughs> And then at 20 years old, when I finally moved out and moved away from home, guess what I missed? I missed some of the comforts of home. And I realized life was pretty good at home. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And as I lived in a two-bedroom apartment with two other men going to college together, saving every dime we could, I said, man, I wish I could go home. And the time and opportunities that I had to go home, it was a nice journey, and I enjoyed going home, and I'd walk through the door, and my dad would be there, and he'd say, Welcome home. And I'd say, It's good to be home. I got laundry to do. I need a hot meal. <laughs> and there was just something about being home, it was comfortable. 
It wasn't a place of judgment. But those were happy memories and happy times. You see, this earth isn't where we belong. But some people get so comfortable and happy in this life that they fail to understand the value of heaven. But it's going to be nice to go home someday. It's going to be nice to be reunited with brothers and sisters, our family who have gone on before us. It's going to be nice to sing and praise God together forever and our voices won't get tired and they won't crack after a week of singing school. And we'll sing around that throne and we'll look at one another and we'll say, we're home. We're home. We'll look at our God and say, this is where I've always belonged and I'm finally here. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. When Paul spoke these words, he was speaking from his heart. He was inspired of the Holy Spirit, but these were things he was experiencing. And he said... It would be better for me if I could just die and go and be with Christ. He said, that's far better. That would benefit me individually. He said, but it's more needful for me to be here and labor with you. And as long as I'm here, I'm going to labor and work. But you know what? I really want to go home. And you think of everything the Apostle Paul suffered as he served Christ. He left everything in that former life and existence behind. He gave it all up because he wanted to win Christ. He suffered shipwreck. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. And every time he had the opportunity, he continued to speak and to preach the gospel of Christ. And the reason he did that was because he didn't fear what man could do to him. And he knew there was a place where he could be reunited with his resurrected Savior forever. That is our motivation, brothers and sisters. That we have a message to preach and we have something this world needs to hear. And while we're here, let's preach that message. Let's teach that salvation. Let's promote Jesus Christ. And one day we'll go home. And one day we'll be with him, which is far better. But right now we're here and we have work to do. Don't get distracted, but stay focused on the mission and the goal that's at hand. I look at the faces of these children. We've got kids from a few months old up to 17, 18 years old, and I look into their eyes and I see a lot of hope. I see a lot of hope for the church in the future, in those faces. But I hope and pray that we're training them to be focused on heaven. To be focused on what they can do in their service to Christ. And the best way for us to train them is for us to live that ourselves. Because as you look at these children, don't you think that's what heaven is? It's innocence, it's purity, it's perfection. And we think about their minds and their purity and as they grow older, what happens to that? It's kind of stripped away. But I want to see every one of those faces in heaven someday.
I want to see you in heaven someday. Don't you enjoy the relationships you have in the body of Christ right now? Imagine that in heaven. We could remember the things that we experience in this life together. We could draw our minds back and we could be reminded of the faith that was instilled in us. And if I teach my children to be successful in life and they miss heaven, I've, I've messed up at some point. I want my children to be successful in this life, but more than anything, I want them to go to heaven. Because I want to be with them forever. And I want them to be with Christ forever. Because I'm their earthly father, but they have a heavenly father who loves them even more than I possibly could. And that's hard for me to imagine. But my job as a parent is to instill in them the importance of Christ and of God so that one day they take ownership of their faith and they're obedient to Christ and they become an heir of that eternal reward. But for that to happen, we have to have the proper focus. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's speaking to us today as we live on this earth. He says, set your affection, lay up your treasures in another place. Don't invest them down here, because someone can steal them. Over time, they decay, and they ruin, and they're not worth anything. He says, but the treasures you have in heaven will be there awaiting you. And that's a charge to you and I today in our service to Him in, our, in His kingdom. Where's your focus? I know we have a lot of things that draw our minds and attention, and that's fine, but don't lose focus inside of what's really important. Because God wants a relationship with you. Tonight, I want you to think about your Heavenly Father. You know, those words that we often begin a prayer with, that we spoke of earlier, I want you to understand the impact of that statement. That when you bow your knees, on your knees, and you bow your head or you are humbled in some way, and you begin to communicate with God our Creator, and you say those words, Our Father, what you're saying is, I'm a child of yours. I submit to your authority. I submit to your will. I want to serve you in this life. You direct my path. You provide for me. You take care of me. And I trust you as that Father. That's what we're saying. And we say that that Father is in heaven. Tonight, where's your Father? He's in heaven. And guess what He's doing? He's sitting on a throne. Revelation 21 and verse 5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. That's what Jesus offers to you and I. He offers us a membership into this family where our Father sits on a throne in heaven. Are you a part of that family tonight? The church 
is in many ways a very mystical organization. But you and I are humans. And you and I get to be a part of something that Christ purchased. You and I get to be a part of something that was God's eternal plan. He said this was the ultimate plan before the foundations of the world. And you and I are fulfillment of that. And we have opportunity to be a part of that family. And we walk through church building doors like we did tonight. And we say, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And we have a love and a commonality with one another that this world doesn't understand. Are you a part of that tonight? You see, to be a part of that family, there are certain conditions that are placed upon us. And Jesus speaks of those. See, heaven is certainly a place where there is room for every being that's ever been created by God, but it's a place reserved for those who are faithful servants of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to a man named Nicodemus who had come to him by night seeking knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus spoke of a rebirth that gave you what? Membership into this family that one day will inherit heaven. And he says you have to be born again of the water and the Spirit because it's in that rebirth that you fulfill the condition to be a part of this family. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is air heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see, sin gets in the way of the perfect relationship that God wants to have with us in eternity. And it happened in the garden. When God created Adam and Eve, they were to be eternal. <laughs> They were to live forever. And in that Garden of Eden, there in the middle of the garden, was not only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was the tree of life. But they chose to eat of the tree, which God told them not to. And because of that disobedience, they were cut off from access to that tree of life. But you and I have regained access to that through Christ. He is the tree of life. He is the one who can provide sustenance to you and I. He is the one who died on the cross, who brings about our salvation through the propitiation of his sin, from His blood that covers and washes away our sins. And for those sins that separate between us and our God, His blood must be applied. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, as... Paul describes his conversion. He talks about his experience and the command of God for him to go into the city of Damascus and find a man named Ananias, which would tell him all things that he needed to do. He had prayed for three days. He had fasted. He had had a miraculous intervention with Christ in meeting him and talking with him. Yet he goes into the city of Damascus and Ananias declares unto him what? He says, what are you waiting for? And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. See, Ananias 
gave Saul the instructions that were necessary for him to be born again as a child of God. And as Saul of Tarsus obeyed that gospel and was buried with his Lord in baptism, he was added to a family and he gained a reservation. A reservation in heaven. Tonight, do you have a reservation in heaven? Do you know without a doubt that Jesus has prepared a place for you? Do you know with all your heart that if something were to happen to you tonight, that you would rest peacefully and safely with your Lord? If you do, that's a great blessing, isn't it? And we ought to have that kind of confidence, but if you doubt that for any reason... Something in your life needs to change. Because your reservation may not be sure. And your place may not be waiting for you in glory with God. And if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, you don't have a reservation tonight. But if you'll come obeying God will mark your spot. And you can have faith and trust in His Word tonight. The last passage I want to share with you is to remind us that there's only one way in. You can't go the way you want to go. You have to submit to God and go on His terms. John chapter 14 and verse 4, Jesus said, And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know... Thomas saith unto him, We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus then makes that great declaration as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want to go home tonight and be with God, you have to go through Jesus Christ. You have to go on His terms. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of eternal salvation, and through His blood... He wants to give you a reservation of the place that He's gone to prepare for you. Tonight, we want you to make that reservation sure. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins and gain entrance into this family, there would be rejoicing among the angels in heaven and there would be rejoicing here tonight with brothers and sisters in Christ as we would gain another family member that's looking to go home with us. If you're here tonight and you're a brother or sister in Christ, but in your spirit you're failing, in your spirit you feel weak, or you're suffering or struggling with some problem or issue in life, tonight I want to remind you, remember heaven. This suffering is only temporary, and even if you suffer every day, eventually the suffering will end and we'll be at peace and comfort and safety with God. And I want you to hang on to that hope. And Christ offers you reconciliation with your God. If we can help you tonight to ensure your place in heaven, all you have to do is make your request known by coming down the aisle, having a seat here on this front pew, as together we stand and sing. <laughs>